This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Inflation is rampant at the gas pump and in the grocery store. For some items, prices are up by 10% or more. But is inflation also on the rise within our schools? Has great inflation soared into a new orbit with the onset of COVID? school closures, and teacher concerns about students' social and emotional well-being. Well, the full story on COVID's impact is not yet in. We have a ways to go there. But an early warning signal has appeared in a study just released by ACT, a testing agency that tests students to ascertain whether they are ready for college. And I have with me one of the authors of the study, Edgar Sanchez, uh, lead research scientist at uh, ACT or ACT. So Dr. Sanchez, thank you for joining me today on the Education Exchange. Thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate the opportunity to share my research with y'all. Well, Dr. Sanchez, we'll dig into the nuts and bolts of your study in a minute. But first, let me hear what your bottom line is. Our listeners want to know, is great inflation actually on the increase? So absolutely, our research, which focused on whether or not great inflation was present and for whom it was present, our research suggests and demonstrates that there is evidence of great inflation over the past decade. We looked at great inflation from 2010 to 2021, uh, and we did find evidence of great inflation across the decade. We also found that, interestingly, it was uh, growing much more rapidly during the last three years from 2018, and in particular, 2020 and 2021. We saw really uh, rapid changes in high school GPA, which, you know, we can dig into why that might possibly be. But, um, you know, the bottom line is that there is evidence of great inflation over the previous decade. And it does happen for some particular subgroups of individuals as well. Well, but, uh, you know, you can't be sure if that's uh, great inflation. The students might be just uh, working harder and studying more and, and COVID settled them down and they got to work. Uh, so how about their test performance on the uh, on the ACT tests? Are they uh, are they up to? So one of the ways that uh, we or the, the way the main way that we look at whether or not there was grade inflation was to compare high school grades over the previous decade and uh, and account for their uh, ACT test scores. Uh, that's one of the traditional ways of looking at whether or not there's grade inflation is to compare it to a more objective measure. Uh, and over the past decade, the ACT score has actually dropped by about one point, which I think is uh, the lowest it's been in uh, the past decade. Uh, so what we are talking about is an increase increase in high school GPA that is not uh, correlated or, or not um, um, matched by content mastery. And in this case, we're using a more objective measure, the ACT score, as a measure of content mastery. And so we see a mismatch between high school GPA and ACT score. So that's how we're evaluating whether or not there's great inflation. Well, one of the arguments that I often hear is that more students are going on to college, more students are taking the ACT than ever before, more schools are graduating from high school than ever before. And so all you're doing is, is you're, you're comparing a, a larger group of students, a larger share of high school students today than you were back in 2010. And it's not inflation that's occurring, but it's just you've got a bigger bigger pool out there. Is that a possible explanation? 
Well, it's certainly possible when we have a lot more students obviously going on to college than before. Uh, one of the nice things about the ACT population is that we have at ACT state and district contracts. Uh, and so what we actually saw in, across our decade is the number of students in, in our sample who are coming in from state and district testing. And in a state and district testing, it's a, a contract with a state or a district where most of the students in the state or school are actually being tested. And that means that we're actually getting students who are non-college bound. So we're not just focused on the college-bound students, but we also have a good representation of students who are non-college bound, who might be going to vocational technical schools, who might be going to two-year colleges, um, where the, the ACT score is not as, as, uh, as well used um, as it is in, in traditional four-year institutions. So I think particularly in this study, as we move from 2010 to 2021, we have a greater representation of the actual school students, uh, and we get more students from lower abilities than we would uh, if we were just looking at a um, college-bound population. Well, that would make you think that actually uh, grades, average grades should be going down. Because if you've got a broader pool, then you wouldn't expect the grades to go up. You'd, you'd expect them to go down. Exactly. You would expect that as we include more students at the lower end of the ability spectrum, we would be including more lower high school GPAs. And that's not what we found. We found that grade inflation was present for all students across the entire spectrum of the ability scale. So, oh, so what you do is you look at the ability level as demonstrated on the ACT, and then you look at the grades people at that level uh, got back in 2010 and what they're getting today. And, and, and that's how you, you show that for every point on that uh, test score scale, you're seeing uh, more generous grades now than in the past. Absolutely. In the report, we, we, of course, do it in two ways, one of which is through uh, hierarchical linear modeling. But there's also a graph which was really interesting, which is just um, plotting high school GPA by ACT score. And you can see at the lower end of the ACT scale, uh, as you track year by year, you can see that high school GPA is actually increasing. Um, and, you know, it looks like there's uh, greater increases at the lower end of the ACT scale. However, that's really probably just a, an effect of the ceiling effect of the way we calculate high school GPA, everything seems to converge to a 4.0 at the upper end of the ACT scale. So it looks more dramatic at the lower end. Um, but, you know, across the entire scale, we can see that as you look year over year, high school GPA is actually increasing from 2010 to 2021. So, yes, I, I noticed that you did, you do get uh, a bigger, uh, uh, more inflation for the less advantaged uh, or the, the lower performing students. We can't say they're less advantaged uh, for sure. We're just saying here that they're lower performing. You see the greatest inflation. And one could say, well, that's just because teachers now want to give out more generous grades to lower performing students. But you're telling me, no, it, I'm not sure about that because it could be that there's a, the higher, it, you know, once you get, you, you, you aren't giving four pluses in this scale. It ends at four, right? So when you say ceiling effect, you're saying there's a point where you can't inflate anymore. When, when somebody gets an A, that's it. You know, 4.0 is an A. You can't go higher than that, right? Is that, that's what the ceiling effect is? 
Yes, absolutely. And, and that's a, a function of the way that we calculate ACT at, uh, or high school GPA at ACT. I suspect that if we were to allow bonus points for AP courses, for honors courses, where we allowed that 4.0 to, to exceed or that highest GPA to exceed 4.0, we would also see grade inflation um, at that level as well. Well, it, this could also be affecting the way we're looking at the grade inflation for different ethnic groups because uh, I think you see some pretty interesting ethnic differences in the data as well. What, what do you see there? Yeah, so one of the interesting findings, which we didn't expect, was to see uh, a greater grade inflation for our, for our Black students. Uh, that was not something that we expected to see going in. Um, while we did see um, that for our more white and Asian schools with greater percentages of, of white and Asian students, non-persons of color, they experienced greater grade inflation, which is consistent with previous research. We also found that, like I said, at the student level, um, Black students were experiencing greater grade inflation, and schools with higher percentages of free and reduced price lunch were experiencing greater grade inflation as well. So those were two kind of surprising findings where, you know, it kind of goes to what we were talking about previously, where we're really focusing in on this, um, um, maybe a little bit more disadvantaged schools or more uh, minority students, and they're experiencing greater grade inflation. But I noticed something else, which was a surprise to me, and you didn't mention it, but I think it's really interesting is that you didn't see any more grade inflation or not significantly more for Hispanic students and white students. They look pretty much alike to me when I was looking at the data. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, so the Hispanic students did not pop out as having higher grade inflation than our black students. So, you know, one of the things that often happens in um, social science research is that Hispanic students and black students get lumped together as they're uh, as if they were just one in the same. But you're seeing some differences here. So what do you think could account for differences between black and Hispanic students? Why, why is great inflation occurring for one but not the other? Well, first of all, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm clear that there is great inflation for everybody. Um, and so everybody experienced great inflation from 2010 to 2021. And that great inflation really dramatically increased in 2018 and, and more so in 2020 and 2021. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, what are reasons that in particular our Black students experienced greater great inflation. And that's something that I think, you know, we couldn't address with our research, uh, with the, the information that we had available to us. So I don't have, you know, a research-based uh, way to answer that question. Um, but, you know, one of the things that comes to mind uh, on, on why that might be happening um, is, you know, I, I wonder if perhaps what we're seeing in, in these schools where we have greater grade inflation for Black students or for free and reduced price lunch students and for Black students is I wonder if we're not starting to see an unintended consequence of the test optional movement. Um, in that situation with the test optional movement where traditionally schools have uh, at least a couple of academic indicators, uh, high school GPA as well as a standardized test score, you know, when you take away that standardized test score, you're left with only high school GPA um, as the uh, you know, main uh, indicator of academic achievement. And so 
in that situation, you can't help but over rely on high school GPA. Um, there's, there's just, you know, not much else that you can rely on. You know, we talk about having portfolios and having other uh, ways of, of evaluating whether a student is ready for college. But when we come to academics, we're, we're down to high school GPA. Uh, and that, of course, runs counter to the recommendations from the standards for educational psychological testing. Um, you know, we don't want to over rely on a single measure. Well, no, no, I think this is an important point that you're making. And I was going to bring it up, but you've anticipated this, this question that I had is that you're sort of saying that the more colleges out there are saying, you know what, we're not going to look at the ACT. We're not going to look at the SAT. We're not going to look at these uh, standardized tests out there anymore because uh, we think they're unfair and, uh, and so forth. So one of the implications for that is they're going to look more at the GPA, the grade point average in high school, as an indicator as to whether or not they're ready for college. And now all of a sudden that says to the high school teachers, you know what, I think I can get more of my kids into college if I just inflate their grades a bit. Is that, is that what you're telling me? Well, I think there's definitely a lot of pressure on that high school GPA now more than ever, particularly since 2020, since the COVID-19 pandemic. There's more pressure to, to have the highest high school GPA that you possibly can. So there are many factors that are probably going into what is uh, inflating high school GPA. There's pressures on the schools, pressures on the teachers. Um, in particular, there's pressures from the students. The students themselves need to get the highest GPA possible to have the greatest uh, possibility of getting in. Dr. Sanchez, I can tell you that for sure, because I am a professor and we have to get our kids into graduate school or into law school or into medical school or into business school. And the students all come up at the end of the term and say, oh, I only got a B plus. I have to have an A minus or I'm not. Mm -hmm. You did. You need to earn that A minus, you know, you, <laughs> this is what you earn. But no, I'm supposed to shift it up there. So, yeah, no, the professor comes under a lot of, of pressure, and I'm sure the high school teacher gets the same kind of pressure. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. And, and you know, like I said, I think that's a potential unintended consequence of the test optional movement, you know, where schools were trying to diversify their populations, but in doing so, they've narrowly focused their perspective on just high school GPA. Well, it was a case, um, there was a scholar um, recently who actually said it was the high performing students who were getting the most great inflation and not the lower performing students, but that's not what you're finding here. It's the opposite of what we've been told just recently by uh, prior researchers. Has there been a change in that respect, do you think? Well, we did find that our schools that have low percentages of persons of color had higher uh, grade inflation. So we actually found did find research that supported that. Um, one of the things that's unique about this study is just the amount of uh, covariates and factors and student characteristics and school characteristics that we tried to control for all at the same time. Um, and so in doing, to, in doing that, we are, you know, looking at black students while controlling for everything else, or looking at the percentage of free and reduced price lunch students at school while controlling for everything else. One of the things we didn't do in this study, which I think would be an interesting next step is to see how they co-vary. Um, so, you know, uh, I think that if we looked at how students were doing at, um, uh, say, for example, a school with high free reduced price lunch, high persons of color, I think we're still going to see our black students having the highest uh, grade inflation. I think, think that'll also be true when it's low 
free and reduced price lunch and low persons of color. Um, what would be interesting to see is what happens with white students at those schools when we, when we vary that uh, percentage of persons of color at a school. So are you going to be uh, digging into the data in, in greater detail to see if you uh, can tease out some of these more complex relationships? Yeah, so we've started having conversations about what are next steps and what are some ways that we can help uh, our, our readers, our schools, our students interpret this information. You know, one of our goals is to get this information out and available for public discussion. We want to kind of pass the baton on to others to 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 just start the conversation with our research. Um, but one of the ways that we've been thinking about potentially doing this is to do some, you know, Tableau dashboards, which will allow someone to come into our website and, you know, manipulate all the variables and see what happens when we're talking about a white student who's at a high percentage of uh, color school or at a low percentage of color school. So that's something that we're talking about doing, which I think will be really helpful for people to interpret the data correctly. Well, I think that would be a valuable thing because I, I think one of the uh, best ways uh, to um, have an impact is to allow the research community as a whole to look at the data. And I think a lot of states don't do that. They don't, they don't let everybody analyze the data. They, they get one group to analyze the data. They feel like they have more control over here. And if, if ACT or ACT were to really move forward and to say, you know what, we're going to create a platform, we're going to protect the privacy of the, the test taker. But, but uh, given that, we're going to let uh, anybody out there who wants to analyze the data. And you might get a, a surprising response from the research community out there, I can, I can imagine that. So I applaud your, your thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are ways to do it which protects the privacy of the student because we obviously need to protect our students' privacy. But there are also ways to share our data and, and get this information out into the hands of the public and the policyholders and those who need to have the discussions uh, so that we can really start digging into the how and the why of what's going on. Well, some people out there say we don't really need to worry about this. You know, if, if, the, if there's just a inflation across the board and now everybody's getting a B instead of a C, it doesn't really make that much difference. It's just that the, you know, the scale is a little different. So is inflation maybe bad at the grocery store, but not so bad if it's in, in grades at school? Well, I think it is because when we were talking about high school GPA, we really have to think about what does high school GPA represent? How do we interpret what a high school GPA is and what is it meant to indicate? You know, it is primarily meant to indicate content mastery at a, at, at a school for particular subjects. When we're introducing non-cognitive components, things like uh, attitude, things like the determination, attendance, and we lump that in with, with our performance and academics, it makes it less clear what that 3.5 or 4 Point oh actually means. You know, it might be interesting perhaps if we could find a way to disentangle the non-cognitive from the cognitive pieces, if we could find a way to measure the SEL skills, the soft skills, and be able to represent for a student what is their level of determination and their uh, effort being put into class and separate that out from how well did they do on their science classes and how well did they do in their English classes. I think that would add an important uh, additional piece of information, but that would require disentangling what's going on with high school GPA. Well, that's another argument that's, that's made is that the GPA is really a more valuable uh, indicator than the, than the uh, test performance on a standardized test, because that only is capturing their cognitive skills, whereas to, to do well in college, you need a lot of personal skills as well. And maybe the GPA is, 
maybe kids are better behaved now than they were in the past and, and, they're, and they're more organized and they're more uh, kinder to their fellow students. And maybe that's what they're getting a better grade for. And therefore we should be up and not be so worried about it. And I think, you know, that's true that high school GPA is really predictive of, um, of the college entrance and some performance on first-year GPA, as is the ACT score. Of course, they're better together because they provide complementary information. But I'll go back to what I just said. I think we, we have this issue of when we're looking at high school GPAs, how do we interpret what that high school GPA is? Let's say they're getting a 4.0. How much of that does that does the repre represent their effort and their determination? You know, we know that it's an important skill that students are going to need in in college and in career, but we can't evaluate that directly. We have to infer it somehow and somehow for ourselves or for the, the college admissions counselor, try to disentangle those pieces of information. And that's really hard to do. Well, the US Department of Education has come out with a study that pretty much confirms what you're talking about. They don't bring us to 2021 like you do. So it's not quite the same as what you've done, but they say that between 1990 and 2019, the average high school grade went from about a C up to about a B minus, which is a pretty big shift, actually. Mm -hmm. It's over a little longer period, but they show it's been gradual over that whole period of time. It doesn't really bring us down to where COVID is. But basically, their story is not too much different from yours, as I hear it. Is it do you see much difference between the, uh, the government's report and your report? No, I think it's 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 encouraging that we're seeing multiple reports, multiple studies, as we have for decades, you know, all showing and demonstrating the same thing, that grade inflation is persistent. It's a systemic thing. And we're talking about national trends here. We're not talking about regional or schools or independent individual teachers. We're talking about national trends. So when we're trying to think about ways to address this or how do we uh, approach this, we really have to think about what are the national trends, which is why I go back to the test optional movement in the particular for the last two to three years. Uh, years. We have to think about the effect of COVID um, because that had a big effect on grading practices uh, in the last three years. You know, um, the changes from the traditional A to F letter grading system to a more lenient or more flexible, I should say, a way of grading students, you know, that introduced even more uh, flexibility and more confusion into how grades are assigned. And again, how should they be interpreted? It, does it mean the same thing to get a 4.0 in 2021 or 2020 in the middle of a pandemic as it did two years ago, five years ago? Because one of the important things about your study is that great inflation accelerated in the last two, three years, right? The, it, it's been steady over the last decade. The U.S. government data suggests it's steady over an even longer period of time, but it's accelerating in the most recent period. I think that's absolutely yeah, and so it is, and that that's a concern because if it starts to accelerate, it can it could just sort of blow up. It's inflation. When once inflation gets over ten percent, you get really really uh, worried about it. If it's at one percent or two percent, maybe not so worrisome. But you know, the the steeper the increase in the inflation, the more it could it could sort of create a total confusion in our educational system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the more inflation that exists and the steeper the, the rate of inflation, I think it has the potential to diminish the utility of high school GPA because, again, we're not sure what it means anymore. Does it mean content mastery the way that we think it does? Do we need to reinterpret 
uh, the ways that we uh, use high school GPA, how do we account for this great inflation and how do we make it equitable for students from across the country that are applying through an institution to make sure that we can compare students across the country. And that's where an objective measure like the SAT or the ACT comes in. Well, I hear your recommendation is to do what MIT is doing. It's keeping the um, the standardized test as one of the requirements for uh, an application to, to MIT. After dropping it, they reinstated it. I think you're telling Harvard to do the same. You're telling the Ivy Leagues, you're telling all the leading universities. I think it's gotta start with leaders. We have to have leadership that says, this is important, we need to do something about it. And then it, well, they were the ones who gave it up first and, and they were well known for, for reliable standards. So, it's really got to be coming down from the top. People have to take responsibility. Do you agree with me on that? I do. And I think one way to really help uh, to our leaders to understand that is to understand the benefits of multiple measures, to really understand that each piece of information that we are provided from uh, a student gives us one slice or one perspective on a student. And the more information that we have on a student, the better we are able to uh, evaluate whether or not a student will be successful, both just for admissions, but also for course placement, because that's another important factor where high school GPA and ACT or SAT scores can come into play. Well, thank you, Dr. Sanchez. This has been an illuminating conversation and, and thank you for your uh, thoughtful and careful uh, investigation into a, a not a small problem in American education today. Well, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. I have been speaking with Dr. Edgar Sanchez, a lead research scientist at ACT and author of a recently released study of great inflation I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.